You're listening to Once, episode 205, The Dark Swan. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. I'm Aaron. And we are happy to have you joining us. If you're not subscribed to the show, go over to oncepodcast.com where you can get all of our episodes about all of the episodes of Once Upon a Time. But we're excited to be talking about the full episode. We're excited to be talking about The Dark Swan, season five premiere of Once Upon a Time. And I've seen some really positive feedback for this episode. Even some people saying best season premiere since the first season. Hmm. Until the last five minutes. Right. (laughs) And are we counting season season premieres or are we counting story arc premieres? Well, I'd only heard season premieres, but what do you think in terms of story arc premieres? I'd say since the first season. Okay, story arc premieres were total tangent here. Desperate Souls, mm-hmm. uh, The Cricket Game, if you remember, that was when uh, Cora came. And um, Well, I'm talking halves of seasons. So yeah. That would be, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Desperate Souls. And then uh, uh, season three was um, Zelina, something with Zelina. Yeah. And then the second half of season three started in New York. And then the second half of season four was Cruella and Ursula and yeah, the three crazy ladies. New York was pretty good, but it wasn't a season premiere. Yeah. So I still think, though, premiere of story arc, even this would be the best one since the first season. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that response, uh, very similar positive praise from a lot of listeners as well. Uh, to the podcast and viewers of the TV show. So let's dig into this, starting with the the past past, because the past <laughs> is in the past. <laughs> Minneapolis, 1989. I think that what they basically did is they found some incredible magic and they shrunk Jennifer Morrison down into a miniature young <laughs> Jennifer Morrison <laughs> in McKenna Grace, who played young Emma. Oh, I thought I they that. cast her perfectly. They're really good with this show at casting young actors or actresses mm-hmm. for the parts. I guess really actresses, because we've only seen young versions of characters other than Bay from actresses. Yeah. I thought she was good. I thought she was a little bit creepy. And I thought she was British at first. And so I was really confused. I had to rewatch the scene. And then I realized she's missing her two front teeth. So maybe she just sounds a little bit different. When she said, sorry, it sounded very British. What a naughty um, child. <laughs> she was probably hungry. Was she, she by herself? She could have been Canadian. I mean, the actress. <laughs> I don't know for sure. But because, you know, they say sorry sometimes, I know, in certain areas. But uh, they do film much of Once Upon a Time in Canada. So maybe they found a local actress. To play I think I looked it up to see if she was British and just had a little oops when she said that word. And I think she was American. But okay. Yeah, I was wondering that too, Jeremy, about if she was by herself. I thought maybe she was just not sitting with like that group she came in with or she snuck in with them as if she was one of their children to get into the movie. Yeah. Mm. She's supposed to be about six years old at this point. That's it? Yeah. I know. They always cast them older. Well, I don't know all six-year-olds, but I don't think I'm quite buying that. 
Eight yeah. even, maybe. Yeah, eight would be more real. I'm trying to think of when I had both front teeth out. <laughs> I think I was in grade three. But this guy came and uh, had one very nice word of warning for her. <laughs> when you do something that you're not supposed to do, even if you do it for the right reasons, bad things will happen, Emma. Bad things. It's the same as what Regina told us oh so long ago. <laughs> Here's a theory I have. Yes. We just met Merlin. I yeah. thought that too. And once he got there, he had to remember from how to speak English. At first, <laughs> all he could think to say was don't. Don't. And clearly the poor child, being all of six years old, was very confused, having just stolen a candy bar. Which, by the way, I realized <laughs> after his warning and then after seeing the scene following this... That she sort of, this is a little bit of a stretch, but she sort of extracted that candy bar as though it were Excalibur. <laughs> <laughs> she was the thieving child worthy of the Apollo bar. Was that, it was an Apollo bar, hey? Yeah? It was. Okay. I, I just typed, is this a Lost reference? Because <laughs> I'm so far away from having watched Lost and I haven't finished it yet, so. It's almost more uh, Once Upon a Time reference at this point. Oh, true. Yeah. They've used Apollo bars possibly more in Once Upon a Time than they did in Lost. <laughs> Henry stole Apollo bars. Or no, Hansel and Gretel planted them on him, right? Right. Way back in <laughs> way back in the fifth episode or something. <laughs> Hashtag that happened. What do you think he means? Or what do you what kind of bad things will happen if Emma takes the sword? Because Excalibur, as far as we know, has already been removed. So is he speaking symbolically, like, don't take the dagger because the dagger is part of Excalibur, but the dagger wasn't in a sword, in a stone? Or might there be something like Excalibur is placed back into the stone, and that's what we're going to see in the, these missing six weeks? It seems like yeah. a really safe place to keep it. Yeah. <laughs> so it I'd probably kills anybody that. who's not worthy of extracting it. I feel like he was warning her, too, though. Like, if there's this... Like, I guess we're going further around in the episode. If there's this prophecy that they're going to come there and uh, find Merlin, I feel like if Emma is the dark one and has her own dagger and then has Ex Excalibur, perhaps there's some like loophole with Excalibur that it can control the dark one because it's the other half of the dagger. Mm -hmm. And that if she has both, they're just, there's no getting out of that. I like that. Well, I've been afraid that it will amplify. The Dark yeah. One's power to have the whole thing united. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's why he took just the end of Excalibur. He doesn't want it to, uh, if he's going to tie the Dark One to it, he doesn't want it to be too powerful. But the person, let's call him Merlin for now, because that does <laughs> seem to be a prominent theory. In fact, Jacqueline uh, pointed out that they kept cutting back and forth between this guy and Merlin on the screen a little bit. And so they're basically dropping, seemingly dropping a lot of hints that this is Merlin. And I'm going to go with oh, that. So I'm going to call him. You mean the cartoon Merlin. Merlin? Yes. Yeah. Cartoon Merlin that was playing on the screen. Yeah. He and, said, even if you do it for the right reasons, bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. So I do wonder if this is symbolic, maybe jumping a little bit toward the end here, maybe Emma's becoming the dark one was something she did thinking it was for the right reasons yeah 
I would yeah. agree with that. And if he's really Merlin and he can time travel or some such thing, I think he probably should have picked a time in her life when she would actually believe what he was saying and remember. Unless he wanted to really creep a little girl out. I know. So she's <laughs> sitting there after he leaves and she's trying to watch this Disney movie and someone has just very creepily appeared and told her that she's going to have the opportunity to get that very sword out of the stone and she shouldn't. So we'll just put that in as one of the exhibits in why Emma <laughs> is messed up. But she probably was at a point in her life then when she would actually believe what he was saying that she could at some point have Excalibur. And if he'd come later in her life, she would have just been like, you're crazy. Go away. Unless he came, you know, in between when she started believing about magic. If you're much older than six or eight or whatever, you don't believe in magic anymore. Hmm. Yeah, true. Meanwhile, in the Enchanted Forest, or we don't really know when it is, but it must be somewhat close to present day time, uh, the past that we see with these guys going to get Excalibur. Because my basis there is that Arthur doesn't look much different in age. So probably not a lot of time has passed. I'm guessing... Well, that's how it works in Camelot. Well, yeah. And there could be a whole thing about this is before the curse... And then the curse freezes them, but they're still able to move around. I mean, it freezes time, so mm -hmm. they don't age, but they can still move around and interact with each other. And then it's unlocked. I mean, we've heard of that happening in other parts of the land as well. But uh, by the fact that Arthur is able to take the sword does show that he is the rightful king. But is he a good king? Yes. I feel like if they really wanted to prove to us that he was a good king, they wouldn't have cast that actor because he just looks a little shifty. <laughs> like he Even looks the way that the actors look when you're watching a really nice story and then some somebody betrays somebody and they turns out they were evil the whole time. You think so? He just has, I think so, yeah. Mm. They all had different crests on their chests. Yeah. Did any of them mean anything? Uh, has anyone done any research? I tried to do a little bit, but I couldn't find much. My guess notice. was maybe they're like different divisions of the army or something like that. One is Air Force, one is Navy, one is oh, Marines. Yes. <laughs> All four of them, really. And then there was the one guy uh, who, much like Emma, just takes what he wants. But it kind of made him pay right away. Sir K is actually from Arthurian legend. He was King Arthur's foster brother and one of the first knights of the round table. Well, hmm. he got he his. Went, <laughs> I guess we kind of skipped to the end of his story a little bit. I wonder if we'll see <laughs> flashbacks from the round table. One of, oh, that would, could be really cool. One of the best lines from this episode. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows. He's confident that he knows he's the right guy. I feel like I'm going to need to learn some, what did you say? Ar Arthurian? Arthurian. Arthurian. Because I've not even ever seen Sword in the Stone, like ever. So not even as a kid, I don't think so. I don't know that Sir Kay is in uh, the Sword in the Stone movie. I don't remember uh, because it, it's been a while since I've watched it too. Actually, I never finished it. So they spoiled it. What they showed me, I hadn't seen yet. I wasn't allowed to watch it as a kid. And then Jenny and I got it from the library. And as happens with library discs, people, please rewind your library DVDs. Because when you don't, it makes it not play very well for other people. And the disc was skipping too badly and I could never finish it. So I've got to go back and rewatch it uh, sometime. But Jacqueline said that she gasped out loud 
at the reveal when the dagger is part of Excalibur. Yeah, me too. That's really cool. <laughs> That's funny. I as soon as they looked at it broken, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's when I gasped when I realized like that that's what it was. Jacqueline said the sword is supposed to be a weapon of good only working in the hands of a divinely appointed messiah king. The fact that the missing bit of it is a weapon of evil and corruption speaks to the fact that there is very little that separates light and dark and how in order to be complete you need both. I wonder if Merlin forged the blade and it broke into the dagger when he tethered the darkness to a human. Is it that, though? Because it controls the darkness. Yeah, exactly. I think that the dagger is good because could you imagine the dark one without a dagger? Like, that's the only control that they have of the, that darkness. I think they they made it for good so that it could be controlled by a good person. It just perhaps got into the wrong hands along the way. But the person who kills the dark one with the dagger becomes the next dark one. Oh. So the darkness is passed on by the power of the dagger. Right. But the apprentice, whom I'm going to now consider to be <laughs> Yun Sid, because we did see Yun Sid written on August's board when he was looking for the author and had uh, descriptions of the apprentice and such. But the apprentice had said in the finale of season four that the sorcerer, Merlin, tethered the darkness to her person and then created the dagger so that the darkness could be controlled. Right. We're going to get the rest of that story. I think some of the details that have been left out. Mm -hmm. That'll be interesting. I wonder how they're going to, I wonder if that's going to be like a big CGI effect. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, has have you guys seen this movie? I think it's called fun. No, not finding Nemo, little Nemo. <laughs> it's like an, <laughs> it's just like finding Nemo. You guys <laughs> No, there's this movie, little Nemo. It's like kind of an anime movie and there's something, I haven't watched it for a long time, but there's something with this like darkness that he, somehow has to control in it. And he's like, all I know is he's flying on his bed and there's this like darkness chasing him. I can picture it not, not flying on a bed with a little boy. Well, I guess it could be, but something like that with this like <laughs> oozing darkness that they have to control. Because Emma did turn into oozing darkness. Mm -hmm. And by oozing, we mean flailing wildly and flying through the air. And gooey and well, I mean, the, I mean, the black, like the gooey, it looked like tar. Yeah. Huh. Rose said that uh, she had actually guessed that the dagger had a connection to Excalibur a while back. And then when she was watching with her friends, they were all like, how'd you guess that? Because you watch one's podcast and we're smart. Yeah, that's right. Like everybody who watches. I don't mean us. I mean, everybody who watches. Yes. If you're listening to this or watching this, you are smarter than the average once upon a time TV show viewer. Or bear. <laughs> yeah. Did you just say or bear? Oh, yeah. But, you know, speaking of bear, we appreciate those who <laughs> bear the burden with us to help keep this podcast running. And I want to give shout outs to them right now because we really appreciate their support. It's like giving us a giant bear hug while bearing the burden of the, the financial burden of running the podcast, because yes, it does cost to do this podcast and host the website and all these kinds of things. So for this episode, 
Special thanks to David Newland, Steve Johnson, Lisa Slack, Swan Got Hooked, Marianne Lavati, James Kinlow, Jennifer A. Treese, Irvin Z. Martinez, Amy Cadillier, Renita Persuade, and our 26 Patreon backers. And we've got a couple new Patreon backers. So thank you very much for your kind support. We could not do this podcast without you. If you'd like to be a contributor to the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash sponsor. Moving on from uh, the really nice transition. I loved how they did that transition from showing Excalibur right into Storybrooke, showing the dagger perfectly connected. Here we are in present day with Emma getting sucked up into the the, the <laughs> little vortex there. And <laughs> Jacqueline uh, wanted to point out uh, or ask this question. Did Emma save the town or did she sacrifice herself for Regina? Because remember, well. the darkness was attacking Regina and snuffing out the light. How about both? I, I feel like dark one Regina would not be good for the town. Oh, yeah. She'd probably be like, you know, all that good stuff I've said and done. <laughs> enough. You know what would have happened if Regina had become the dark one? Bad things. Yeah. But I don't know. She would have had to go through this same battle that Emma's going through, and she's already battled that battle of choosing good. Would she have battled, or would she have been like, this is awesome? (laughs) I don't know. She's got nothing to need darkness for anymore. Well, now that's true. Yeah, she's found her happy ending. Emma's been tormented with this good versus evil and potential for darkness for her whole life, it seems. Hmm. Yeah, and Emma had the the greatest potential for darkness as well, which I don't know if they're going to really bring that into this season at all. I hope not, because that was just a headache for It us. was a darkness <laughs> waffle. Potential or actual darkness. I liked all Regina's one-liners and her banter with Captain Hook in this episode. <laughs> Feel bad for the Charmings, losing their kid again. And just because Jennifer Goodwin does a really good, oh my goodness, my daughter is gone face. She does it a lot. But they held on to that baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. even if it meant crashing to the ground in grannies and like landing on it on the floor, they held on to that baby. They are not going to give up their child again. <laughs> when they went to speak with the apprentice, there was an interesting thing that he said that could be taken two different ways, depending on the punctuation. Mm-hmm. So a little like grammar lesson here. The apprentice said, where all darkness is born in your realm. So is that where all darkness is born in your realm? And that being the Dark One's vault? Or is he basically implying that all darkness is born in the realm of the Enchanted Forest? I took it as the latter. And basically, I felt that this poor sick old man really needed to stop using the word all. Because I do not think it means what he thinks it means. (laughs) I also took it for the latter just because of where he paused. Because then sentence. he was like, here's this wand. It has all the light magic. Forget what Emma has. Forget what any other person, thing, creature that is imbued with light magic has. All the light magic is in this wand, you guys. Well, that can make sense if you look at light magic as being copyable. That it's not like you have some, I have some, and together we have all of it. But think of it like files on your computer. You can copy a file, but you can have a folder on your computer that contains all of the files for a project, but you can also copy those files to other places. So maybe Emma has copies of Light Magic 
and this wand contains all of light magic. She's gone a bit dark. Can they restore her from backup? <laughs> <laughs> I have. I loved this episode until the last five minutes, like I said. But I did have a big problem with this wand situation. Uh, I had already seen the episode, like when we were watching it. Uh, with the chat room and everyone in the chat room when he said that was like lily 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 hmm. and then i was like yeah i hadn't even thought of that but i had a huge problem with the whole first of all like this show's theme has kind of been like nobody's all good or all evil especially for the last two seasons and now they're saying regina isn't evil enough like i didn't like that and then it has to be Zelina. Like, really? Of everybody in the town, there's nobody else who's got a little bit of darkness in her that can yeah, like, handle that situation? See, first of all, I don't like that whole concept anyway. And second, they do tend to do magic techno babble so frequently now out of nowhere that I think, even though I've seen it twice now, I think I mostly just didn't hear any of that. <laughs> I just kind of blah, 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 need to use the wand, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Regina looks funny holding it in the air doing nothing. Stop before something, you embarrass something. yourself. We need Zelina because reasons. <laughs> and then let's watch what happens in that situation. So I actually didn't even analyze it. <laughs> Zelina also has no good in her. So she's not from both sides of the coin unless you count her unborn child, which might have done in that. What I... <laughs> Yeah, that was a little bit weird. But what I think they meant is basically that because the wa- the wand had all light magic, they needed someone that was dark to balance it out in using it. That was my impression, that they weren't saying it needed to be like two people, one light, one dark using it, or that one person that had equal amounts of light and dark. They needed someone who was all dark in order to balance it. That's probably what they were saying. I submit the fans... Choice of Lily, who has the greatest darkness in her. Yeah. 100 And would have been more willing to help find Emma. But again, exactly. we have a little problem with securing the actors we need to continue stories. Is that is that what's happening with Lily? That's Well, I don't know. I just assume. When someone's very prominent in the story, and then suddenly they're like sleeping in today and for the next several <laughs> weeks, I assume they just weren't available. Yeah. I know Jacqueline had some issues with... That Zelina going soft and it, no, she's not soft and she's not pure goodness either, as Jacqueline pointed out. To be fair, Lily may have a lot of darkness, but she doesn't have a lot of skill in wielding magic. True. So it yeah. may have required all of those things. Well, she's yeah. got a she's got a mom who's great with magic. That's true. They were having a brunch. Like they've got <laughs> some catching up to do. Thankfully, not at Granny's. So as they go to figure out what to do and with Zelina, we have the nice Beauty and the Beast moment. Nice to finally see the rose. A very <laughs> icon thing. A very iconic thing of um, Beauty and the Beast. Yes, the rose. So my first reaction was, oh, that's cool. That's like for Beauty and the Beast. And then my second thought was, good grief blue what in the world that is the most cumbersome method of watching to make sure someone's still alive you could have possibly come up with let's make it delicate and covered in a glass dome i mean a wristwatch would have been awesome (laughs) or i don't know just a little orb of light that would just follow you around and if it disappears you're dead and then you know so you don't want that 
But no, here's this thing that you couldn't possibly carry with you, let alone protect during, I don't know, buildings being ripped out of the ground and falling from the sky and whatnot. Do we think Belle brought this with her to the Enchanted Forest? Pretty useless if she didn't. She was carrying it with her when they saw Zelina in the middle of town. Okay. And right after that is when they went to Granny's. So I would assume that, yes, she's taking it with her. And why wouldn't she? She wants to keep tabs on uh, Rumpel's condition. Well, I mean, she can't get back, but that's fine. I'm going to make a prediction right here, right now. At some point during those six weeks while Belle was trapped in the Enchanted Forest while in Camelot, there's going to be a connection with Rumpel's life force between the Rose and his life force, and she's going to be able to talk to him at least once. Just going to put that out there. (laughs) I feel like there's going to be a connection with the Rose and how evil Emma is getting, how close to becoming the Dark One she's getting. Because my theory would be, that once Emma becomes the Dark One, Rumpel is no longer alive. Hmm. That's how it should work anyway. Ooh. I like Sorry, that. Rumples Again, send send hate mail to my Twitter. There'll still be a pedal left, you guys, when they get back to Storybrooke. Yeah, when they get back to Storybrooke, I feel like, well, depending on how long, we don't know how long Emma's been the Dark One, right? Once they get back. Like fully dark? We like don't. That? Yeah. No, I don't think we do. Like leather and white hair. Well, it's she's not fully the Dark One. Because that will be them having lost. Uh, So she's saying they failed. But I I predict much pleading, particularly from Snow. Emma, there's still good in you. They'll they'll get her back. I'm not not (laughs) doubting that they'll get her back. I just, I think she's as dark one as Rumpel was. Do you think he's going to die then? Uh, I think that he should die based on the rules of how that works. Now, keep in mind, when we say that, anything like that, we're not saying we dislike the character. Let's be clear about that. We're saying what we think works well with the story and with the plot. And with the rules that they have made for themselves. I was trying to stir up a little mail for Aaron, that's all. (laughs) I definitely thought The Apprentice was dead last year. Didn't he seem to give a final breath sort of message and then... We had some discussion about that, I think. We did. He seems to be fading out. Uh. And then this time, I think this time he's dead. (laughs) Yen Sid, I'm calling him. Yes. Well, Rick Rack in the chat says he was only mostly dead, which is, (laughs) I suppose, true. (laughs) When they went to get Zelina, you could just feel this... I don't know what to call it, but all of this hate, well, this attitude from Zelina. Oh, I meant from me toward her. (laughs) Well, and you're not the only one. I know (laughs) several fans, including Jacqueline, don't like seeing Zelina more on the show. I think she makes a great villain because she's one of those that there's no hope of redemption, I think, for her. She embraces the wickedness and she loves it. Here's the thing. I hated her in the cell. Once she was loose and in the street and crazier than ever, I thought it was brilliant. I enjoyed it a lot. (laughs) She does crazy evil well. And I think that they're trying, like, she's the only person that might tempt Regina to take steps that she has otherwise reformed from taking. And I think that might be what they're trying to show us. Or what about tempting Emma? Maybe Zelina also helped turn Emma dark. Maybe. She might have helped perpetuate a situation where Emma made a choice, but I don't think that 
she holds the same kind of power over Emma. Emma doesn't hate her because of like, all this family past and all of that kind of stuff. Like she just dislikes her because she's evil, mm-hmm. I would say. So because they can't get Zelina's help and Regina is not willing to set her free, Hook has the brilliant idea. Yeah, let's <laughs> ask the little kid for help. Well, he's not so little anymore, really. But it was nice of them to remind us that, hey, remember, Henry is the author. So maybe that will come into play in a little bit mm-hmm. or at some point in the season. I don't know. Or maybe they simply want to remind us, hey, remember season four and how Henry became the author? Maybe he's <laughs> still the author. What was this T minus 12 minutes until somebody asked Henry to break the rules for their own benefit? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, yeah, same same yeah. moment there. I loved how he said, I'm not a kid anymore with the straw of his milkshake kind of in the foreground. <laughs> Everybody likes milkshakes, Jeremy. Well, it's true, but Henry just saying the words, I'm not a kid anymore is kind of funny. He's not as little yeah. as he was. When they called Zelina the person your mother hates most, I thought they just labeled her an ingredient for some kind of enchantment. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Seriously, watch out in Once Upon a Time for whenever they use the word most or greatest. Which is almost always. Yeah. Yeah. It always means basically ingredient for something. <laughs> so they break out Zelina from prison, but not before we have some cool little tidbits and nice little references. Like we finally heard Nurse Ratchet. That's what we thought her name was for quite a while from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, the book and the movie. And we've called her the harsh nurse and other things, but it fit to call her Nurse Ratchet. Well, now we know she is actually Nurse Ratchet. This was the first time we've heard her called that by name. I think she is the big bad. Like of everything. <laughs> she is terrifying and she's a jerk. Blue fairy. Oh, good grief. <laughs> we might have also learned Henry's birthday. Yes. Maybe. But there's some conflicting information here. It was uh, Matthew Paul, one of our forum moderators, pointed out this little fact that we've seen Emma type in the number 815 as the code to get into that locked area with Nurse Nurse Pratchett. That was in the episode, A Tale of Two Sisters. She types in 815, enter, that unlocks the door. However, the first time we've seen her unlock that door... It was in the episode Hat Trick in season one. And okay, maybe this is, they weren't thinking it through all that much back then. You can't really see exactly what she typed, but by her finger positions, it looks like she types the number 4937, enter. Four digits and a fifth one being the enter. Henry was born in 1937? In the episode The Land Without Magic, Jefferson goes into there when he releases Belle. And Jefferson enters more than four digits plus enter. It sounds more like maybe seven or eight digits that he enters. And all of that was added in post. And many of the beeps were probably added in post anyway. But uh, completely different code. It's very reasonable to assume that people have different codes to that. Maybe it's not only one single code, but it's sort of tied to your identity. But the most recent code we've seen entered was Regina entered 815 which might mean that Henry's birthday is August 15th. And there's a whole forum thread that we have about this at oncepodcast.com slash forums that you can check out some different theories and ideas on how this ties together with the timeline and everything because of how old Henry was 
when Regina got him from the adoption agency. But nonetheless, maybe we know now that Henry is born on August 15th, even if that's not consistent with other things that we've seen in the show. Maybe. Yeah, there's been discussion before, like even in season one about Henry's age, because he was supposed to be 10, but then Mary Margaret's a third grade teacher and you're not 10 when you're in grade three, et cetera. True. I like that theory though. 815 is a good day. I had a real problem with four words. You with the mop. (laughs) I mean, she spends her day sitting right there, apparently looking at him with the mop. She doesn't know his name. That would be why he did not squeal that they were breaking out (laughs) Selena. (laughs) Like, I'm down here and all I do is mop this hallway and that woman never speaks to me. Well, from the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I believe... He's probably in love with her. That same kind of guy was also silent. Now, I haven't seen the movie, but I believe that was the case, that he was also silent. And certainly anyone's welcome to correct me in our live chat right now or in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 205. By the way, we do the podcast live Sunday nights at 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time and Wednesdays normally at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Go over to oncepodcast.com slash live and you'll see a countdown or a way that you can subscribe to get notified of when we're going live next time. Thank you to everyone who is joining us in the chat room, by the way. (laughs) One of the big things that bothered me in this episode plot wise was this whole thing of the enchantment or the potion that Hook could use to take (laughs) someone's heart. That does not jive with anything else because back in the episode Queen of Hearts from season two, that's when Regina enchanted Hook's hook so that he could take a heart. And Regina specifically said, quote, the enchantment will only allow you to rip out one heart, which he did in the episode that aired right before that when he removed Aurora's heart and that episode was Into the Deep. Yep. Mm-hmm. What season was that? That was season two, wasn't it? Yes. There's just like a distortion field over season two. No, the first half of season two was good. Okay. Retroactive continuity. It was. That's what we call it. I was on board with the first half of season two. You're right. Until it changed. Yeah. That's the distortion field. And well, (laughs) was Squid Ink first half or second half? I was never okay with Squid Ink. Squid Ink was first half. It was bad. And so I think this bottle once contained Squid Ink. And anything that has ever touched even a trace of squid ink is subject to interpretation. It doesn't have to be consistent with the rest of the story. What if I told you that this bottle had a cork and that was sort of like a box and you could go to that box and get almost anything you wanted from that box? I would tell you it's a squid ink bottle. (laughs) Just saying. Yep. I don't get it. I know. (laughs) is it a lost reference um yes so (laughs) moving on why why does hook need a potion to rip out a heart because that's what he was going to try to do to get zelena's heart so that he could control zelena but why does he need a potion regina doesn't need a potion to rip out a heart well because regina knows how to wield magic hook doesn't i guess the sad thing is i think i said this in the initial reaction It was this hugely inconsistent plot device just to find a way to knock Hook on the floor and let (laughs) Zelina take the dagger. Was there no other way to do this? I mean, I guess they're afraid that she would be too weak to hit him in the back of the head and knock him down and take the dagger. 
or to do some kind of seductive thing and get the dagger from him that way. <laughs> that would have been irritating too. But yeah, I mean, it was like, it was this whole thing. Like, here's this potion and everybody's, while everybody's busy scratching their heads going, I don't remember this. <laughs> Boom. It doesn't work anyway. Um, because protection spells and he's on the floor and then she proves she is the craziest person on this entire show when she chops off her own hand she would have been crazier if she couldn't have reattached it she knew (laughs) she could reattach it she barely even took a risk no but could you imagine that scene if she just did it and couldn't put her hand back on She's like, bye. Can you imagine the pain, even if you could reattach it? Yeah, but she's crazy. She probably doesn't even feel the pain. There was surprisingly little blood, I'm just going to say. Jacqueline said uh, that this is what they thought, that like basically everyone thought Rumpel should have done back in the episode Going Home when Pan put the bracelet on Rumpel. But as Jacqueline points out, he's not actually insane like she is. <laughs> exactly. She didn't even hesitate. <laughs> um, I also feel like if you can put a protection spell on your heart, wouldn't like Cora have done that or Regina or... Well, Cora removed her heart so that it couldn't be taken. She had it in a safe place. But that's still vulnerable. Like somebody could just go steal it like Alice. She just sneaks in and just sneaks out and gets it. Right. They hide their hearts and they don't even put a protection spell on that. I thought that Regina had put a protection spell on her own heart as well. Uh, No, she put a, a protection spell on Henry's heart. That's what it was. Thank you, Lisa, Michelle in the chat room and also Matthew Paul. We just need a protection spell so that nobody can take anybody's heart and nobody can glamour as anybody else. And then it would be a lot more fair of a fight. Unmagic all the magic. <laughs> so she does get out and she goes and gets Robin. Uh, there was a little a little glitch here. Maybe she didn't have the shape-shifting necklace. Um, sure about that? Well, at least when she went to see Robin, she did she wasn't when she got it. to the center of town. Yes. So maybe she had it in her pocket and it can still work if it's in your pocket. <laughs> yep. Did Robin seem like a ninny to anybody else in this episode? <laughs> well, he did notice that it wasn't Regina. That was a good moment. He hmm. didn't do much, but yeah. Yeah. He seemed a little a little desperate rather than angry. I thought he just seemed a little Oh no, what do we do? Uh and and uh Hook also seemed a little off to me, but in like the opposite direction. He just seemed sort of rage filled toward anyone. And then it occurred to me, how tired would you be if you had just been living in a storybook world where everything was upside down? This is not long after they got out of the book. This is all still basically the same day, is it not? Yeah. I would say right. it is. They yeah. sort of got out of the book and then had to deal with the darkness thing. And it was all just boom, 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 twister, grannies. Just, I mean, clearly a few hours passed because it went from nighttime to daytime. But they've been up all night at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not uncommon for them. It's not uncommon. <laughs> Hopefully they get a little downtime in that six weeks. Why does everything have to happen right in the middle of the main street? I mean, if they want to avoid spoilers... Let's, like, have some discussion somewhere other than right outside Granny's house. What did you think about Regina's um, being all with the team now? I like it. 
Yes. I liked that. I liked particularly Regina and Snow's exchanged looks mm-hmm. when Regina said they were taking it to find taking the vortex to find Emma. Yeah. Yeah. I like how their relationship has grown. Well, like Regina's relationship with everybody has grown, but mm-hmm. that in particular since that was such a negative relationship she before. Actually has a relationship with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, I know you were happy to see one of your predictions fulfilled in the way that they traveled. Tell me more about that. Yeah, the I as soon as they said that they needed an item of Emma's that was significant to her, I knew that they were going to use the baby blanket. Mainly because I guess that's the only item I can think of that Emma actually has. I guess they could have used her leather jacket. But then what would <laughs> Sneezy be wearing when they got back? I like that the baby blanket keeps coming up again. And found its way. I I don't know if they showed it coming back to Storybrooke when Emma and Henry came back with Hook in season three. Oh, you know what? There could be some kind of very interesting, sad scene in present day fairy tale land during those six weeks when Emma destroys the blanket. No. Why would you say that? (laughs) Hashtag save the blanket. Oh my. (laughs) Well, I mean, that blanket is just so important. It's been with her forever. It was the only thing she had from her parents. And then it managed to get through the foster care system and jail completely unscathed. I think it's magical. If they really want to rip out our hearts, they typically won't kill anyone. So I guess the blanket will have to do. You know how in Harry Potter, there's that reveal um spoiler Ooh, alert spoiler spoiler Everything. alert that the of the reasons like it wasn't in the movies it was only in the books the reason oh. why harry had to go back to his family's house every summer was because of that like kin connection the family connection caused him to be protected oh i forgot about that and it was yeah it was very brief and it was very like dumbledore explained it to him did he explain it on the in the train when he first got hit by voldemort's I don't remember. But anyway, he explained it to him. And um, that's kind of like how I feel about the baby blanket. Like, I feel like that thing's got to have something in it with all of like all of what it's been through with Emma. I don't know. I like I like significant items like that. Significant blankets. Yeah. So among all of the people that are going uh, (laughs) are Belle and the dwarves. Great to see three of them at least stepping up to be more part of the action. And like I said, in the, the initial reactions, uh, I think they were making as much a speech for themselves as for the fans of quote team mm-hmm. seven, as we call them unquote, Yeah, uh, because we've all felt like, Oh, the seven dwarves are so much part of what started once upon a time, the snow white story. Yeah. And their names come from the Disney version of snow white and why aren't they getting more screen time other than the one episode of season one that most people hated, Dreamy? Well, I mean, there were other episodes people didn't like that much. But the one really <laughs> weird episode, I'll put it that way, with dwarves hatching out of eggs. Yeah, There was that episode where he got featured. And then we've seen uh, here and there some of the other dwarves uh, being featured in different ways. But now they're stepping it up and... I think it could be cool to see them taking more of a lead role in maybe in some episodes, getting yeah. to share some of the love. 
I hope so. They were very prominent in the in Snow's kingdom before, like before the curse. They were very helpful to her. They fought a lot of battles with her. They helped her get charming back. They helped her break out of jail. Like there were lots of things in the past, and then they've been kind of. I feel like they've been kind of betraying her because they just want their life back in present day. So I was really happy with this speech as well. So the tornado takes them away. And before we move on to talking about what then has been happening in fairytale land, I want to thank some people who left some very kind reviews for us in iTunes. Ashley Hartman from Ohio said, great for in-depth coverage for Once Upon a Time fans. And her review says, I got into Once Upon a Time on a whim last summer and binge watched the first three seasons on Netflix and Hulu. The episodes are pretty long of this podcast in comparison to other Once Upon a Time podcasts and incredibly detailed. (laughs) So they can be a bit overwhelming at first. On the other hand, I think once you reach a certain level of being a fan of the show, the in-depth and comprehensive analysis this podcast offers is incredibly enjoyable. They always bring up details I didn't notice even after several rewatches, and it's fun to see which theories they discuss end up canon. I also like the way they weave in listener feedback into their own discussion instead of sectioning it off at the end. It's almost like the listeners are co-hosts along with actual hosts. Also, I love the timeline. Shout out to Keb for that. Forums. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Matthew Paul and Rumpel's Girl or Jacqueline for that. And (laughs) chat on the podcast website. Again, all vital resources for fans of the show. All in all, a well-crafted podcast. Thank you very much, Ashley. Mark. From Dad's podcast said, it is especially fun when they pull in some tidbit or insight that I never would have thought of without listening. Thanks for the show. And Ruth M. Martin said, this podcast is as much anticipated as the actual TV show for me. I love processing the story with the hosts and hearing different opinions on the show. Best Once Upon a Time podcast by far. Thank you very much for the kind reviews in iTunes. They do really encourage us and they help the show Really, the best thing you can do to help the show, the podcast, that is, is to tell someone else about it. Yes, we really appreciate those reviews. And if you haven't left a review yet, you can go to the website, oncepodcast.com, and click on the iTunes or Stitcher button and leave a review there. And we do appreciate that. But really, the big thing we want you to do to help the show grow is tell someone else about it, especially uh, since it was just International Podcast Day. Help educate someone else on how to subscribe to a podcast. Maybe even grab their iPhone or Android phone, install a podcast app on there, (laughs) get them to subscribe to One's Podcast. And we've got links for subscription options on the website at onespodcast.com as well. But we really appreciate the support. We appreciate when you bring other people to listen and participate in the conversation. And we appreciate those reviews where you are publicly saying how much you enjoy the podcast. So thank you very much for that. Now, present day fairy tale land. Here we go back into present day fairy tale land where it seems we haven't been here since season two. And Henry has never been in actual fairy tale land. So now he's finally got that dream coming true that he's in real life actual fairy tale land, not made up version from the author's book we were in weren't we in present day fairy tale land when they all came back and got zelina and then got cursed back again in season three no remember henry was with emma in new york no i know i know but i mean everybody else was oh oh right yes that's right yeah i I forgot that whole period neil was in present day fairy tale land earlier that season and helped 
got Aurora and Mulan. Yeah. Okay, so I was wrong there. We've been here several times before because it does still exist, which we know Realm now. jumping <laughs> is so hard, you guys. Pardon? The rules just keep expanding. Like now apparently you can take a magical tornado into the Enchanted Forest. The magical tornado apparently doesn't only go to Oz. And apparently it goes back. So again, Rumple the curse, really? Well, speaking of Rumple, he is apparently the guide for Emma. Now that she is in the Enchanted Forest, she is the Dark One. She comes from the Dark One's vault, or he actually called it a well, or this consciousness of Rumple called it the well. That he is the guide for Emma makes me wonder whether Zoso was a guide for Rumpelstiltskin. Well, I think since... Zoso did not have a contract and a loyal fan base and hadn't ended up in just a sort of protected stasis kind of condition. I would say probably not. But then they did have Gorgon the Invincible. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> Except I can't imagine a creature being any in any way useful as a dark one. It's kind of yeah. like, oh my gosh, this giant fire-breathing dragon thing is about to attack. And did it just like... Pick someone up with its mind? Why didn't it just breathe fire? What is going on? It's, it'd be the confusing dark one. It'd just be like, and you're going, I'm pretty sure I knew it was evil when it breathed fire at me, but I'm not sure what it's monologuing about right now because it's all roars. Well, I couldn't find anything on Gorgon the Invincible other than references to computer games, <laughs> but it did look just like the Bandersnatch from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Except it this sure one can breathe fire. Did. And did someone then stab it with the dagger? My guess <laughs> is that Gorgon the Invincible enjoyed shape-shifting. We've yeah. seen Rumple shape-shift oh. before. So maybe this was just what Gorgon enjoyed, is going around, terrorizing the towns, burninating the countryside. Mm. And this is how people knew him. I wouldn't want to be the dark one, obviously. But if I could shape-shift, I would probably take that form once in a while. Did you guys notice the other Once Upon a Time in Wonderland reference in this scene? No, I didn't. The clothes fairy that obviously visited Emma on the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Why didn't she turn scaly? I think because she's not fully dark one. And maybe maybe the whole scaliness is um, somewhat gender-based. Like Zoso and Rumpelstiltskin kind of looked the same as far as the scaliness or the, the glimmer and the shine. But Emma looks very different. And maybe they decided they weren't going to make Emma look reptilian like they did for Rumpelstiltskin. Maybe they still wanted to maintain some of her beauty, even though I don't... We'll get more into how she looks a little bit later. <laughs> but um, maybe it's also as simple as Emma saying, wait, Bobby... Carlisle said it takes how long to put that makeup on and take it off? (laughs) There's no way I'm doing that. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. I highly doubt she would turn that down. (laughs) I kind of liked the idea at first that this was kind of just like like a spirit walk, like something that they all had to go through to become the dark one, to make that choice. Like they all had to choose darkness in this. I, I thought at first that it might kind of be like a different level of consciousness or something that they're just having this little dream walk with but um yeah i mean that's been since everybody showed up and there's real people there it's just in real time but 
I would have liked it if that's kind of what it was. It reminded me a little bit of uh, one of my other TV shows I liked a lot, Battlestar Galactica, where Dr. Gaius Baltar had this Cylon in his brain that followed him around all the time. And it ended up that there was that Cylon somewhere else in the universe that had Gaius Baltar in her brain following her around like spirit guides to each other. There wasn't any kind of telepathic communication between them, but they saw this other person that kind of guided them or influenced them or was a personification of their consciousness. So I think that we're going to see that kind of struggle between Emma and quote, the dark one Rumpelstiltskin, unquote, because it's not really Rumpel. It's just a representation of the dark one. Yeah, It's a better way to show us the struggle than to just have her grunting and making faces a lot. True. It was rather entertaining, I must say. This scene also reminded me of um, of a scene from Buffy, which I know I reference a lot, but there was <laughs> um, in season seven, there was this thing where Buffy had to kind of go into this, the other world where slayers were born and get like a piece of darkness all slayers are born (laughs) i think so so what happened was there was this emergency kit that kind of would get they would put on this storytelling thing it's in the episode get it done in season seven and um they would go on this like kind of walk with these tribal men that created the first slayer but they it turns out that they created the first slayer by actually putting part of demon darkness in her so that she could be strong enough to battle the demons. So what ends up happening like in this episode of Buffy is that she fights that darkness. And she says, basically like, if I have to have this demon darkness in me to do my job, then I'm not doing it like that. She didn't want that in her, but um, it turns out that like all the slayers of the past kind of had had this, this kind of experience and it was to make them stronger, but then she ended up turning it down, turning down more power. So that's kind of what this whole episode and this whole thing with Emma trying to decide, you know, choose the darkness and being all being all conflicted about it. That's what it reminded me of. The Buffy connection continues. Well, I know. They're all the same all <laughs> the same writers, so it makes sense. And it's the same genre, so So we're seeing Emma starting to get a taste of the darkness. And while I was doing a little bit of research on some things, I found a forum post on our own website. And I want to give Timespacer some credit for this because Timespacer made a post saying Dark Emma foreshadowed in March of 2013, two and a half years ago. And there were a couple pages of forum posts of people theorizing about a Dark Emma and maybe some foreshadowing in certain things back then, two and a half years ago. Now, I don't know if the writers were planning it. I do think the writers always planned for Emma to become the Dark One at some point. But uh, that the fans like Time Spacer and several others were theorizing back then was really cool and a neat little thing I wanted to bring out from them. So good job, Time Spacer, for posting that two and a half years ago. What well, did they think yeah, foreshadowed this turn? Well, what Time Spacer said is, uh, this was in reference to the episode, The Queen is Dead from season two. He said, okay, so we saw a suggestion at the end of the episode that Snow might get a bit darker and try to kill Korra, but were they giving us a hint that Emma might do the same? And then they continue on uh, to discuss some of that. Of course, it's more related to what was happening in that season with the whole um, Snow and Korra stuff. 
but still it was neat. I feel like we did not, maybe not we, but I feel like there was discussion about that too, because there was um, discussion about Emma's expression when she put up the protection spell. I think that was that episode or was it the episode just before it when she had to protect Gold's house from Regina and Cora when Mm -hmm. Gold was dying? Was that in The Queen is Dead or that was in the cricket game? That was um, the Miller's daughter. Oh, okay. Well, just a little bit off. But there was discussion around that time because Emma made – it almost was like this face of – I don't know. She was just really happy with herself, like a a face of pleasure after she put up this protection spell. Like she enjoyed that feeling. And people were talking about whether dark magic was going to end up tempting her back then. And it seemed like even the first time that she accidentally used the dark magic on that guy, the peasant or the uh, merchant, at first, well, Rumpel asked her basically, did you enjoy it? And she didn't answer or we didn't see that answer. Because I think that she did kind of enjoy it a little bit, even though she scared the guy off, who could have just given her the answer. But she didn't even realize she was doing it, right? Right. So she runs across Merida. I mean, we've I I already shared my thoughts about bringing a Pixar character into the Once Upon a Time mythology, so I won't go back into that. <laughs> but She's still awesome. Yeah, it was cool to see Merida. She's still a Disney princess. Her hair was just. This side of not believable, but uh, she overall was pretty awesome. I didn't see the movie ever, so I don't know how well they cast her, but I think... She, they cast her really well. And Brave, like Brave is Disney and Pixar, but I, yeah. I liked the... The casting was really good, and she was very true to the character. I've seen... I've only seen the movie twice, I think, but... It does make a lot of sense to bring Merida in, because Once Upon a Time is big fans of strong female characters. And Merida from Brave is a strong female character. Jeremy, you should watch the movie. Should I? Yes. Well, I think I should now. Speaking of watching movies, we are going to have (laughs) a review, an early review of Pan coming out very soon, within the next week or so. Uh, We might even have it released on the Saturday before the next episode of Once Upon a Time, or maybe just after that episode. But we have a chance to screen that movie with some press passes. So we'll be watching that and sharing an early review with you. And it looks like it'll be a lot of fun. I'm so jealous. (laughs) Maybe at some point we'll get to watch Brave and share a little bit of review like we did with uh, Frozen when we watched that. But I don't know how much Merida will be part of the series going forward because the way this episode went is it kind of seemed like she could have gone off and we're never going to see her again. I don't know. So don't say in the chat right now or don't send me emails or tweets or anything telling me because I'm trying to stay spoiler free. Hunter and Jacqueline will later on after we (laughs) close out our main discussion, we'll share spoilers and you'll hear from them what is coming. But I don't know that we'll see. Maybe this was like the Merida episode. Yeah. And now she's on Forgotten Character Island. Maybe, or maybe she'll be back, kind of like Aurora and Mulan appeared here and there throughout the season. Having Robert Carlyle say her accent was a bit thick was great. Yes, I think he verbalized what so many fans who watched the movie Brave even thought. Well, that's also his actual accent, is it not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
I thought it would have been cool if Merida and Snow knew each other because they're both, I thought, I don't think we've learned yet where Snow learned her archery from, but archery is a very prominent part of Merida, like not just in this episode, but in the movie. So I thought that would have been a cool connection if if it was like, oh, hey, what's up when Snow got there? That would be cool. I'm having vague memories of seeing her archery lessons, though. Or maybe... Uh, there's some kind of archery connection between Robin and Merida. Yeah, that would work too. But I don't know. Merida used the word clan and country, which is very true to the movie, but not very true to the Enchanted Forest. They don't say country. They say kingdom. Right. And they're in a different place of the Enchanted Forest. True. That's true. Uh, a completely different kingdom. Maybe it is like on the other side of the Enchanted Forest because we know there are neighboring kingdoms. We could even call it a different realm if we're being sloppy. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> It was neat to see the struggle Emma was having and Merida was having too and how Merida genuinely wanted to help Emma until it seemed like Emma was more interested in killing Merida. (laughs) And to see them making up too. Yeah, Emma definitely had kind of a Smeagol Gollum moment in the night there. (laughs) Well, you would too if the Dark One was talking to you and nobody else could hear them. You want us to betray Merida. We won't do it. No. <laughs> and Merida's just like, I'm just going to hold this sword a little tighter. And when I wake up, I'm leaving. I mean, when before she wakes up. I guess neither of them really slept, so I don't know how she managed to escape. Merida might have been sleeping before Emma started talking to herself. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it, are you talking to... Oh, oh, no, you're not talking to me. Okay. I did like the little showdown at the Hill of Stones. Well, for one, the way that they arranged that, it was really neat to see it in kind of like in real life sort of thing instead of only in a CG animated movie with Brave. Mm-hmm. And also to see Emma catching the arrow like I love that. instinctively, not even realizing she had that ability. And almost like she was completely distracted and exhausted and she's still just catching these arrows. Like, she can't even not catch them. Yeah. Well, what would have happened if it hit her? Like, she Nothing. can't die from that, so. Yeah. Well, we've seen Rumple get shot with an arrow before. Mm-hmm. And he just pulled it out and yeah. laughed. I wonder That's if good. Emma's going to have any kind of crazy laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. It's going to sound like a swan, though. Yeah, swan. Do you, know what, do you know what one of my favorite words of this episode was? No. When Captain Hook came and said, swan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of his term of endearment for her. And by the way, speaking of that, Rose Mason pointed out that maybe the reason Emma looks the way she does as the Dark One is because she is still Swan. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of tied in with the way that she looks. It is. I was wondering how Regina can destroy Emma without becoming the Dark One now that she has the dagger. Yes, me too. So what? That was kind of counterintuitive, counterproductive. I'm not sure what they were. Like, she can control her, for sure. But she can't destroy her. Because if they wait until the episode when Regina decides she has to destroy Emma to start having Regina stand in a room and spin this entire scheme on how the Dark One can actually be destroyed, even though you always thought it couldn't or it couldn't. Here's how you do it. And it just requires like Zelina's baby and <laughs> and 
the promises of a mother to her child and some weird stuff. And the heart of the person you hate the most. And a little squid ink written into a book by Henry. And then, boom, you can destroy the Dark One. Like, if that happens and they don't even set it up ahead of time, I'll be kind of mad. You kind of forgot one ingredient, which is coal from the Burning Red Room. Yeah, <laughs> there was coal in there. That's interesting. I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> Jessica also noticed something uh, interesting about Emma would see the Dark One hallucination. Jessica said uh, the only times Emma could make her hallucination of Rumple disappear was when she was hugging Hook and Henry or focusing on the people she loves and that love her. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that is going to help her defeat the darkness is believing that people love her no matter what. Yeah. That line of hers at the beginning, that she doesn't want to hurt the people she loves, the people who love her, seemed pointed because they said both. She, they could have just said one. And that shows huge character growth for her because she came into this story originally as somebody who loved nobody and believed that nobody loved her. So I like that feedback. So then they go uh, to grannies in the middle of the forest, of course. <laughs> uh, grumpy <laughs> terrible news terrible news no onion rings <laughs> when king arthur comes he does have the sword with him it's in its sheath but it is uh with him and he is introduced as king arthur and he said that the prophecy was that emma would reunite camelot with merlin i'm starting to suspect some things here because arthur could be true After all, he did get to take the sword. He is the rightful ruler of Camelot. But think about Toy Story 3. Lots of hugs. I've still never seen it. Oh. Or think about... I'll make it easy for you. Think about all of the other movies that involve one prominent figure welcoming another prominent figure saying that they were expected. Usually, that first prominent figure has evil motives. Oh. We expected you to come. You were prophesized to come. (laughs) It's prophesied, in case you're wondering why I emphasize the Z. (laughs) Maybe that's how they say it in Camelot. Well, I just want to believe he's good. I don't know why. Yeah, that would be nice. uh, Because we've also heard some of... Especially if he's actually King Arthur. I mean, come on. Well, we have heard some of his story from Lancelot from season two. It was cool to see Lancelot again. But I do have to wonder, maybe there's something else going on here that uh, maybe it was something like Merlin left Camelot, like deserted Camelot because of Arthur's decisions. And now Arthur wants Merlin back so that Arthur can get Merlin's magic or Arthur can become the Dark One or Arthur can take the dagger from the Dark One combine it with the sword and then have all the light and dark magic combined but instead it'll go and then it'll turn dark and then he's got a problem a really powerful dark swan maybe it'll make this just that sound exactly too by the way yeah i think it's very curious how like where their last memory is from and it's from walking into camelot i find that very intriguing And there was feedback about this by uh, Jessica Frey, who talked about, like, she just said her prediction is that King Arthur is going to be evil. 
maybe not totally evil, but not all good. I think King Arthur is going to be the reason why everyone lost their memories and came back to Storybrooke. And I liked that feedback because that it is curious that they lost their memories right as they were entering Camelot and that that's the last memory they have. So Hmm. if Arthur or somebody in Camelot is not involved in that, that just seems like a very interesting place to start the memory loss. Yeah, it could be maybe that Emma is even a tool of Arthur. Maybe Arthur did some evil thing then, and now he's turned Emma into the Dark One, and he sent everyone back to Storybrooke with Emma to ensure that everyone stays in Storybrooke and stays away from Arthur. Or maybe Merlin did that. Maybe Merlin is secretly a bad guy, but I don't think that because of what we've learned of Merlin and how Merlin has uh, tried to make sure that all the darkness was not defeating the light. I'm pretty certain that Merlin's a good guy. I think Charming's evil. (laughs) No, that's his twin. I think they're both evil. It's just a ruse. Arthur could just be misguided. He could be afraid of losing his power if Merlin comes back mm-hmm. or if Emma gets Excalibur, even though she has absolutely no desire to rule that kingdom. Yeah. All right, look at other movies where similar things happen and the person, the, the evil person knows what the visiting person doesn't know, but they try to keep it from them. <laughs> They know that that visiting person has the power to dethrone them. But knowing that he knows that he knows that he knows. Yes, exactly. Moving on, before we get too deeper into that, (laughs) six weeks later, just poof. Yes. And no, I was so happy. I wanted it to go to credits as they walked into Camelot. But then there'd be no hook for, ooh, what's going to happen next? Yeah, because they're all walking into Camelot and the Dark One's hugging Captain Hook and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's really kind of sweet in this terrifying sort of way. Do you think they skipped six weeks ahead just to hook people for the season or just to give some payoff to the dark swan thing or so that people wouldn't be like, okay, now they're all trapped in the enchanted forest again. How will they get back this year? I can't figure out why they skipped ahead, but even though they did, I still wish that they had not, that there had just been stuff that we didn't know. I wish they had not lost their memories. It's a storytelling technique, a common one. You jump forward and then you tell everything that happened between then. I like to be confused. I like them to all know what's going on and I like to be confused. Yeah. And it's really like, okay, Jeff (laughs) Roney, this one's for you, Uh, which by the way, little side note here. I didn't mention this in the initial reactions. Big thanks to Jeff Roney and Colleen Roney from the Once Upon a Time fan podcast over at onceuponatimepodcast.com for sending us a nice little care package for the season premiere. We had some very delicious chocolate cinnamon cookies and some dark chocolate hot cocoa and Jolly Ranchers, which I first called Jolly Rogers, thinking, oh, that's so <laughs> totally appropriate for the show. But they were green, so maybe he was thinking green for Zelina. Green that kind for of thing. Zelina. But a nice little care package. So Hashtag. big thanks to Jeff Roney uh, over there from onceuponatimepodcast.com. Go over there, check out their show, send them some hashtag big love. That's their little thing that they enjoy. So thank you for that, Jeff. But the reason I brought him up is because he's a big fan of Star Wars. And my point in bringing he up Star Wars, Star Wars. Is Star Wars is really best enjoyed if you watch episodes 
four, five, and yes. six, and then go back and watch one, two, and three. Because I didn't know I felt so strongly about it until I was about to see what you were going to say. There are certain like, things that are so much cooler to see when now you know what the future is. Now you get to see the backstory and you've got those questions about the backstory. Well, how does he become this person? What happened actually here? Because we know that something happened. We don't know how it happened, why it happened, that kind of thing. It's the same kind of storytelling technique they're using here. We see the end result. Now we're wondering, how did we get to this? Yes. And it's it's a great storytelling technique, really. It is, yes. But I would love to heard the characters saying things that they all clearly understood and i didn't but only one character was doing that and it basically consisted of what you did to me and so does emma remember for sure or is she bluffing i think she remembers well except that she goes isn't it obvious but here's the thing that confused me the most about that scene she looks at sneezy and goes what are you supposed to be like, she didn't know him. I didn't understand that at all. No, because he's wearing her jacket. <laughs> oh, yeah. is that why she said it? <laughs> and she said, there are no saviors in this town anymore. Yeah. Which, yeah, that she turned him into stone, and um, and he was wearing that very iconic red jacket. I'm more upset about the jacket than him. It makes me wonder if maybe this is a way that they're telling us all of these icons that we know, all of the stuff we know about Once Upon a Time and the mechanics of magic and heroes and villains and and saviors and that kind of stuff with Once Upon a Time, that's all changed now. That's in the past. Now it's something completely different. Now that the red jacket's gone, Emma's the dark one. Emma has the dagger. We don't know what Mr. Gold's condition is. Oh, and did you hear the sound when she appeared? She poofed in. Mm-hmm. So where did she poof in from? Was she already there? Oh. Like in Storybook? Mm -hmm. Probably. Because the Dark One can't just realm jump, clearly, or we have no show. Yeah. I have a prediction that because Sneezy was turned into stone in the middle of a sneeze, (laughs) when he's going to be de-stoned, he'll finish that sneeze. That's a great prediction. That's a really good prediction. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with it 100%, actually. (laughs) You think he'll be... De-stoned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what do you think about the music with Emma? So good. I really liked it. Yeah, a nice twist. And I'm looking forward to this next soundtrack from Mark Isham because I really like his music just as is, but I think he does some great work for Once Upon a Time as well. Mm-hmm. I really liked, I meant to mention it earlier, I really liked the Scottish music too that they had um, for Merida. That Emma has the dagger makes me think that Arthur was never successful in reuniting the dagger with Excalibur. It could go either way in my mind, because we don't really know what the end result of that will be. I think the Excalibur and Merlin storyline, and maybe even King Arthur, could extend beyond these six weeks. I'm not saying only the episodes we'll see that fill in the details, but I think we'll see that in what happens after this six-week jump that will see other stuff because they're going to be in storybook continuing to try and figure things out in present day but then there will be the six weeks past yeah. where we'll also see them struggling with whatever happened emma said that they would all be punished yeah what do you what think of that of punishment she now just going to wreak havoc on storybook 
I don't know. You look at what punishment meant to villains in this episode, and it was often taking away uh, what people loved most, Mm -hmm. uh, ripping away happy endings. But Emma is the savior. She was the bringer of happy endings. Is she now going to rip those away, or is it maybe something completely different? Maybe she's going to draw faces on spoons and put them in a pickle jar with pickle juice and shake them up like in Lilo and Stitch. That was how she punished people. And that's not as big a leap as you might think because Lilo and Stitch is an animated movie and so is The Emperor's New Groove, which is what I thought of immediately when she held up the dagger and said, looking for this? (laughs) Definitely had an Yzma moment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she does... Resemble, for this? She does resemble Yzma just a tiny bit with <laughs> the hair. Scary beyond all reason. I don't really like how they made her look. No? I, I like the outfit. That looks cool as a dark one outfit. But the way they did her hair and makeup, I don't really like as much. I want to see them maintain her beauty a bit more, not make her look as menacing well, there, there, are ways, there are ways that you can combine them. Like, certainly, uh, they did this with Regina when Regina was evil queen of maintaining her beauty, but still making her look menacing and evil. Yeah, but that would have been a little cliched if they did the same thing to her that they did to Regina and Snow and every other, well, probably just those two. But <laughs> I, I thought it worked pretty well. I don't know if I totally understand it, but I also don't think the transformation is complete. Gareth Gray sent some feedback thinking that maybe Excalibur is needed in order to completely defeat the darkness. Yeah. He said, perhaps Merlin broke Excalibur when creating the Dark One. Perhaps he was using the sword to battle the darkness and the sword was broken and he used the broken piece. Perhaps the sword was put into the stone because it is too dangerous. Emma was warned to leave the sword alone. I imagine we will see Emma removing the sword from the stone either in the future or the missing six weeks. Uh, Another thing about Emma's look that I noticed is uh, her nails, like her hair is white, which I think everybody noticed, which it also has feathers in it. So I think that's definitely a throw to the swan, but her nails are also white, uh, which Emma usually has black nails, I think, um, if if colored at all. And I think that... um, I don't know. The white is very interesting because white definitely does not represent darkness. It represents light and innocence and all kinds of things opposite of darkness. Um, I get that the rest of her outfit is black, but I do agree then that the transformation is not maybe necessarily totally complete. Matthew Paul said, I'm hoping that Emma has a hidden motivation behind what she is up to, just like Rumpel was. We learned that the main motivation behind Rumpel's actions in the past was to track down his son, but he went to extreme lengths to do so. Emma could similarly have good intentions just like Rumpel. She has chosen the extreme lengths. I was wondering something very similar that maybe, uh, going back to what we were saying earlier, does she remember this uh, six-week period, or is she just as clueless as everyone else? Maybe she chose to become the Dark One and fully embrace it in order to defeat the darkness or because of something. And maybe Arthur was the one who realized, no way, I can't have you being the dark one. I'm going to wipe your memories, send you to this distant land. And so Emma is then assuming or somehow brainwashed to think, 
I'm the dark one and it didn't work. I'm out to punish these people. Yeah. But she might not know that she actually did this for good and uh, did some kind of sacrifice or uh, something that she had good intentions, but did the wrong thing. And when that happens, bad stuff happens. Bad things. Alternatively, if she does remember, perhaps she cast the curse back so that maybe she needs to be there to accomplish whatever she needs. Maybe she needs, um, I don't know, Blue's help or The Apprentice, or maybe she needs something from Storybrooke. It better not be a curse. Maybe she needs Rumple. They didn't travel back by curse. Oh, but did you not see the little flashy little light thing? When they yeah, it was from landed? the green, uh, the green twister. No, when they landed back. I know we're going to call it the green twister. It looks no like more it, traveling by curse. It looks no ex- more. <laughs> I think this was something else. Maybe this was Merlin sent them back. Maybe this was something that we've not seen before because Whose of heart that. Did we use this time? Because of that, <laughs> that flash of light that was quite different from anything else. Oh. See, I thought that that flash of light was very similar to how the curse has been broken in the last, like broken, but still. Oh, curse. broken. Because this wasn't all the story yeah. broke either. So it's definitely yeah. not that curse. You know, when Emma kisses Henry and there's a big flash of light that goes poof. Oh, the frush. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that kind of thing. The concentric circles sort of magic. I didn't see anything oh. like that in this. It was more like a. A flash kinda... like when you drop a diner. From the sky. I was thinking kind of like um, the way the Starship Enterprise goes into warp speed. That kind of flash is what this reminded me a little bit of. And so maybe it was a completely different way of traveling. Starship grannies. (laughs) Granny is very good at flying a diner through a twister. She knows exactly what to do. Jessica Olsen said, while I wasn't thrilled with another time jump with lost memories. Yeah, I think a lot of us feel that way. I thought it was... Interesting how they got us to that point. I'm thinking a large reason why they did it was to let us see some more of Emma as the actual Dark One instead of just leading up to it and then resolving it. Remember, like I said with Star Wars, same thing. Star Wars is so much more fun when you watch the original three Mm -hmm. and then watch episodes one, two, and three to see what led up to it. This way, they can keep the story to the half-season arc while still showing a longer timeline of events. I know it's not really new, but if they really are keeping the story arc to a half-season, I think it's the best way to handle it, given it's such a big thing for Emma. I do actually like that, uh, because whatever they do, everybody's got this idea of what, what does Emma look like as the Dark One. And if they spend even more weeks building up and building up, no one's going to be happy with what they do so showing us right away the beginning stage the later stage they've kind of set the right expectation so as they're doing the build-up we know what that's going to look like later we're not just imagining some something more grandiose and terrible than what they actually have planned kind of like the curse of shattered sight I'm spoiler free, and I already knew what Emma looked like as the Dark One. Oh well, because you know somebody then you're not spoiler a picture. Free. Well, but that's not my fault. <laughs> I also knew that Merida, like as soon as they cast Merida, which was months ago, I knew that she was going to be in it, but I just forgot. Well, then I'm more spoiler free than you. Oh, you know what? Speaking of Merida, <laughs> Alina Harris said I adored Merida 
Amy Manson, who plays Merida, has done utter justice to her. Her accent is gorgeous, <laughs> and it's her real one, which makes it even better. And uh, she said, I can't believe King Fergus, that was Merida's father, has passed. I really loved him on Brave. Her poor wee brothers. I hope they're as adorable as they were on the movie. I think there will be a lot of fun coming up with, if we get to see the little brothers, which I kind of feel like we'll see more of Merida. Why bring in such an iconic Pixar character for only one episode, especially well, using her as part of the, the teasers that they gave that we saw on the night of the premiere? It works either way, but it would be nice to have her in again. I don't see why not. So we would love your feedback, but since we're concluding our discussion of the feedback in the podcast, the best way that you can continue this conversation is either going to the show notes where we will have some screenshots and a link to a couple of these interesting forum posts and that will be at oncepodcast.com slash 205, or go to our forums at oncepodcast.com slash forums. All those links are on the website at oncepodcast.com, and we would love to have your feedback for the next upcoming episodes of Once Upon a Time that we can incorporate your feedback into our discussion in the podcast. Remember that we do initial reactions live on Sunday nights at 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time, 15 minutes after the Eastern and Central Time airing of the show. And we do our full discussions Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. That's at oncepodcast.com slash live. And when you go there, you'll always be able to see when the next upcoming live show is that we'll be doing. Don't forget to stick around for spoilers if you're interested in that after the music closing. And we'll probably have that review of Pan very soon. It might be the next episode of the podcast. Or maybe a couple episodes after that, but we'll get that review to you early so you can get really excited about Pan. And don't worry, we won't spoil it initially. Our first few minutes of our movie reviews usually tend to be spoiler free, and then we get into spoiler based conversation. Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast and follow each of us individually. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P H L E G O N. I'm Aaron, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of supporters, and you're one of them, too, for supporting the podcast financially. Check out those options at oncepodcast.com, but also our great team of volunteers making each episode possible. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a few moments. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums, Keb managing our timeline, and Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline hosting the podcast with me. Please check out the show notes and share this episode with someone else over at oncepodcast.com slash 205. Click all those share buttons and tell someone else about the podcast. And until next time, remember, when you do something you're not supposed to do, even if you do it for the right reasons, bad things will happen. Bad things. And thanks for listening. One's podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.
Big thanks to our sponsors for this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be one of them and make the podcast possible episode after episode, then please check out our options over at oncepodcast.com slash sponsor. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. We've got episode 502, The Price. In an effort to protect Emma, Regina steps up in a surprising way that will test her mettle as a force for good. King Arthur and Queen Guinevere throw a royal ball to welcome the heroes to Camelot. But when the celebration takes a deadly turn, David and Robin must leap into action or lose a crucial asset in the fight to save Emma. Back in Storybrooke, Hook deploys a tried and true technique in hopes of bringing Emma back to the light while the heroes discover the same unexpected baggage has followed them home from Camelot. So we've got it written by Andrew Chambliss and Dana Horgan, and it's directed by Romeo Tyrone. We've got a couple of guest stars. Um, the dwarves are back. And Granny is and back. And Granny we also have Liam Garrigan as King Arthur. We're going to meet Queen Guinevere for the first time, and she's played by Joanna Metris. Um, we have Andrew Jenkins as Percival. And we are going to meet Violet, who's played by Olivia Steele Falconer. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I didn't think we were going to see her for a while, but yeah, she's showing up early. So we had a very short promo for this episode. Yes. Um, it was this, like 20 seconds long. It was short. It was very short, but it's definitely a Regina-heavy episode. Mm-hmm. And they kept mentioning that she has to conjure something. Yeah, it seems like it's one of those episodes that's going to be kind of dark and scary. And we see Regina at different points in her life, um, obviously her and Storybrooke. But then it also looks like there's some flashbacks, maybe, to the time before the curse. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just looks interesting. It does. And we got a sneak peek, too. Yeah, we got a sneak peek as early as Monday, which is surprising. Normally, by this point, we don't have peaks, but we did get a sneak peek for this episode. Yes. And it is between Henry, Emma, and Regina. Mm -hmm. And it starts off with Henry summoning Emma by saying her name three times while he's standing over the water. Yes. So, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of got the whole Bloody Mary vibe, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I was at first thinking that he had the dagger, but I'm like, wait, no, he doesn't have the dagger. Like, right. Because the way he summoned her. But Emma does appear, and she's still the dark one. She's got that white hair and her black clothing. And she's in the nice outfit. Yes. The outfit we like. Yes, the one Hunter and I enjoyed. <laughs> and they they have a talk for a while, and Henry's really sorry that he couldn't save Emma and that they failed her. But she says that they didn't. No, she says he didn't. He didn't. That Henry didn't. Right. Right. So she's think. I guess she thinks everyone else failed her. Yeah. And then Regina shows up, and mm -hmm. they talk about the erased memories. Yes. And that in this case, the one thing that would restore memories, of course, is the curse or whatever being broken, but that normally takes a savior, and in this case, there is none. Yeah, and because. Emma created the curse this time. Right. I don't know if we're going to figure out how she did that. Like, did she take someone's heart? I don't know. I don't know. Because normally you would need the heart of the thing you love most. 
but Henry and is still alive. Is still alive. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how that's going to happen. But Regina believes that she can protect the town. And we know that something is headed to Storybrooke that only a savior can solve. Did you get the sense that Emma is trying to goad Regina into being the savior? Like, she's almost saying, oh, I don't think you can do this with the hopes that it makes Regina mad enough to become the savior. I I get that feeling, yes. It kind of feels like it's a long con. Yeah. Yeah. There's something else going on, I think. Yeah. We just need the memory curse to get lifted and to find out what happened in those past six weeks. Right. Okay. Let's move on from that episode. And we got some interesting information from Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz in an interview. Yeah. All right. So they talk a lot about what we're going to be seeing with Emma this season. And as they normally do when it comes to magic and darkness, they do liken it to an addiction, that this metaphor for darkness could be a metaphor for addiction, and that you are going to see a lot of the people around her feel powerless in how to help her. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I like how they they use it as a metaphor for the addiction Mm -hmm. and how I've seen that happen in other shows such as, I know we bring it up a lot, but in Buffy. Right. Like witchcraft is the same thing and that kind of stuff. And it's definitely been a narrative point that they've been sticking with ever since the beginning of the series with Rumpel, Regina, Cora. Yes. It's good to see that they're carrying that through with Emma. Okay, next up, Adam made a comment saying Emma plays her cards very close to the vest, but that does not prevent her from interacting in a very direct and close way with characters like Hook, Regina, and Henry. So that's kind of cool because she's the dark one and she's supposed to be all evil. Yeah, and going back to our press release for episode 502, it kind of sounds like Hook's tried and true method might be an attempt at true love's kiss. And we do have photos from when they were filming 502. We know that there's going to be a scene between Hook and Emma where it looks like they're getting kind of lovey-dovey. So I have to question whether or not True Love's Kiss is actually going to work on Emma this time around. I have a feeling it doesn't, but that's just me. I also have a feeling that it doesn't. Shippers, prepare yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next one because that's a really long one. So we've got Regina. Yes. And Adam said that she's a character who has grown a lot over the years and has tried to put her evil behind her and do good, but that part of her, the evil and the darkness, is a part of her. So she is kind of struggling on how does she do the right thing and help Emma. Which you kind of see in that that little sneak peek. Right. She's definitely reacting to Emma in the sneak peek a little bit more like how the evil queen reacted to Emma Swan when Emma first came to town back in season one. You know, Mm -hmm. there's she even looks at Emma at one point and says, get away from my son, which is something that was very embedded into this story back in season one when they were fighting over Henry. Yes. And continuing on the Regina kick, um, Eddie Kitsis says, you're going to see in Storybrooke, as good as Sneezy was as Sheriff, he was hilarious, (laughs) he went down pretty quick. So it's going to be to everyone looking at the mayor. And it's one thing to ask everyone's forgiveness, but it's another thing to lead people. So we've seen Regina on our side helping out the heroes, but she's going to have to be thrust into a leadership position in saving the town, a town where, quite honestly, a lot of people are still frightened of her. Because I don't think she really had to lead the town too much when the curse was going on. Right. You know, everyone kind of just did whatever 
she wanted them to do. And, right. you know, then she she was kind of the villain again in season two for a little bit. And then they spent so much of season three either in Neverland or fighting Zelina. And then season four, she just handed the reins over to Mary Margaret. <laughs> right. So it'll be interesting to see her actually lead instead of just being in a position of power. Yes. So it'll be fun. And then Eddie talked a little bit about Merlin and his debut in the season premiere. He did warn Emma not to pull the sword. Um, we saw Arthur pull the sword and we realized the Dark One's dagger and Excalibur were meant to be whole. They are going to explain to us why that is and why Merlin is where he is. Because, of right. course, he was in Minneapolis with young Emma. And Adam added on saying why he was warning Emma all those years before. It's not something we're going to make you wait the whole half a season for. Thank goodness. Yes. That'll be very nice. I'm kind of hoping that we get a lot more on Merlin around episode three, because that episode, Siege Perilous, in my mind, is a Merlin-centric, I'm hoping. That'd be cool. Yeah. I can't wait for them to bring in all the new characters. Yeah, same. We all know that Red and Mulan are returning. Yes. And Adam has gone on to say, we're not planning to drop them back in the show with no explanation and just say, oh, they were over in the corner. <laughs> we do want to give you a taste of where Mulan has been and what she's been up to and what she's been going through. And the same with Red. Yeah. And I think we finally nailed down when Megan Ori is going to be back on the show as Little Red Riding Hood. According to her Instagram, she is back on set for episode 508 or 509, they're filming both of them at the same time. Um, she took a picture of her famous red hood and said, guess what? So I'm guessing she's back on set now. Yes. And we also got a little bit more news from the casting area. Another favorite might be coming back. Yeah, this was kind of a surprise. David Anders, who played Frankenstein slash Dr. Whale, uh, has hinted that he will be returning to Once Upon a Time. He did a Ask... David the other day on Twitter, and someone asked him if we would be seeing Dr. Whale again, and Anders replied, the doctor will be in. So I'm guessing we're going to see him soon. Yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah, and you know, anybody who's out there is a fan of the ship Frankenwolf, maybe he and Red will interact together. Ooh, fun. Okay, and last, we do know that they're filming 508 and 509 right now, and we have some titles. Yeah, so episode 508 is Birth, and it is written by David H. Goodman and Jerome Schwartz. And then 509 is The Bear King, written by Andrew Chambliss. Yeah. I am going to speculate that 508 might see the birth of Zelina's baby. That would be a good ex that would be a good yeah. guess. And then 509, there's kind of a bit of a debate because The Bear King it seems to suggest that it might be Merida, um, given her history with bears. And we know that we were supposed to be meeting her parents around episode nine. But someone at the forums pointed out that in the original Arthurian mythology, his name is often debated to come from the Scottish words meaning bear and king. So it could be an Arthur-centric. Or maybe it's both. Maybe yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe they're gonna pull a very classic once upon a time twist and maybe Arthur is actually Merlin's father still alive or something. <laughs> because this show would. Or I'm just throwing it out there because I really don't see it happening, but somehow King Arthur and Merida are related. 
Oh, of course, because somebody- once upon yeah. a time, and I think Rumpel has something to do with it because he's thrown in everywhere. Right. He probably did something. He, you know, he's probably Mordu, or he's probably the witch who actually turned Merida's mother into a bear. Be- probably because that's what this show does. <laughs> well, I think that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Bit of Pixie Dust. And I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore eighty seven. Until next time, Oncers. Oh.